Hi, and welcome to another edition of Safety Talks. I'm your host, Tamara Paris, and if it's your first time joining us, welcome. And if you're a returning guest, welcome back. Now, I've got a great conversation here lined up with Corey Pitzer. He's the CEO of SafeMap International, and we're going to be looking at myths in safety. Have you registered for our Safety Connect 2020 conference yet? If not, you can go and register at industryconnectsafety.com and that's happening October 2020 and it's free to register. So please head on over and register for our conference. Now let's dive into that discussion. Hi, Corey. It's great to have you with us here today. Thank you for joining us. Hi, Tamara. Thank you for that. Uh, Great to be here. You know, this is an interesting topic, the myths in safety. Um, and, and how does this impact our organizational culture? I have a background in social work myself. So um, in our training, we do talk a lot about culture, values, and beliefs, and how does that impact somebody's decision-making in their lives? And one of the questions that I've always had rolling in my mind, Corey, was what is the role of myths in our culture? Um, it's an interesting question. I haven't really given it a lot of thought in the past. So you pose the question. Um, I, I think that it plays a, a very important role um, because, you know, when you look at the subject like safety, uh, safety is actually, despite uh, the perception of it, uh, a very complex entity or very complex focus in an organization. Uh, in terms of, you know, all the things you have to do and uh, all the, the, the influences on safety. So it's a very complex thing. And then uh, we actually are able to simplify it. And it's probably because uh, we have a safety profession in an organization sitting on the sideline and we influence the operating process, the operator, the line manager, etc. And uh, I think these uh, simplifications have actually helped us a lot to convey a message uh, to make it easily understood on the other side, so to speak. And and that's become the problem, I think, in the long run, because we started ending up with oversimplifications and things that is not related to safety in, in some ways or another. And now um, myths or belief systems, those are usually things that we learn along our pathway of life through different experiences, right? Mm. Yeah, and I think the uh, the, the safety uh, profession, uh, you know, has, has been driven by a lot of myths uh, because of, uh, to some degree, um, you know, our history. Uh, our history as a profession um, has been, uh, you know, starting way back with Heinrich, um, you know, we, we had these truths that came out. You know, we, uh, I think a lot of the problem is that, if it's a problem, is that we, we're actually uh, dealing with a complex social entity in a business, safety and culture and so on. But the audience are line engineers, you know, mechanical, civil, insert, and so on. And these people are thinking in linear terms. They're thinking A causes B causes C. And, you know, that's how they actually design the production process. And it makes sense. So what we then have to do is to somehow line in with or line up with that kind of thinking. And I think that's 
very much uh, a process that de- developed the beliefs that we started believing ourselves mm-hmm. in some regards. And so one of the beliefs that you and I were talking about is fatal accidents occur in cycles. But is this truly a, a belief in safety in general? Uh, I don't think it's a belief in safety in general, uh, but it's probably, um, I mean, something I saw the other day was a, 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 a report that was investigating fatal accidents in a mining state, uh, state in Australia, in Queensland. And over the years, there were 47 fatal accidents. And the, uh, the analyst, uh, and it came out as the Brady Report, actually claimed that there were cycles and uh, that, you know, we should understand these cycles and knowing these cycles will, will make us think, oh, well, we can actually understand what comes next. Um, and and, and there's, there's, a, there's, a, there's a deep flaw in that thinking in the sense that, you know, fatal accidents are extremely, extremely rare events. Uh, when you talk about data in an organization, uh, you know, how many millions and billions and trillions of decisions are being made by an organization of, say, 2,000 people on the site over a month? It's literally endless what number of decisions they make. And then some of those decisions have risky consequences. And then even smaller number may or may not end up in a fatal accident. So the point I'm making, we're talking about data here that is in the femto, pico, and nano range. We can't make cycles out of that. We can't say, let's predict these things because we understand the cycle behind it. We don't have enough information and we'll never have enough information to make There's that conclusion. There's not enough data there. There's never, there'll never be enough data. Now, I, here's something, um, though. If you were to look at leading indicators, right? So you're monitoring along and you're able to identify leading indicators, to cut off a potential fatal accident or incident occurring, could you maybe find some um, cycles in that? Well, you know, it depends on what leading indicators we talk about. Uh, you know, you talk about the leading indicator, for instance, uh, the number of uh, safety meetings that's being conducted in an organization, people participating in that. That tells you nothing of the no. risks out there. No, um, I would be looking at, um, okay, remember that I'm in retail, grocery retail, right? So when I mm-hmm. use examples, mm-hmm. that's where I always go to. So for example, if I'm seeing, um, I always put it over to the departments to do their own safety reviews and audits and then give it back and have a discussion. So say I'm seeing um, consistently that the freezer is not being de-iced. Mm-hmm. That to me is a leading indicator that something potentially could happen. Yeah, that that kind of situation is what I call fatal risk exposures. I mean, there are certain things in an organization that's going to kill you, and there are certain things in an organization that are never going to kill you. Risks, I mean. Um, and so, if you look at those kind of risks in an organization, those fatal risk exposures, and you look at them. And, and, and even in those areas, you are not going to find a pattern. You're not going to find enough information there to say this is predictive of an outcome. I mean, to give an example, I've actually had an amazing experience in the last two years where uh, a large organization has uh, assigned me to do uh, 
a process of fatal risk uh, or fatal uh, elimination of fatalities. And so we would go into the various sites. And this organization has got 40-odd sites around the world and probably close to 100,000 people. So it's a massive organization. So we go on to site and start talking to people at the front end and start looking for fatal risks in the organization. And the more you look, the more you see. It's quite amazing how you can eventually uncover so many fatal risk exposures. And we literally found multiples of them on the site. And yet, that site would be operating fatal-free for 40, 50 years. But the fatal risk exposures are there. So this goes to on-the-job safety accountability is owned by the front line. Yeah, yeah. It, it, that kind of works into that, right? It kind of works into that, but there's a little bit of a problem in the statement for me. And the statement is because safety really happens not in the safety profession, in the safety function, in the safety system even. Safety happens in the operating process. And the operating process, that's where people actually work. But for me, the, 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 the problem is ownership of safety. You know, who owns safety? And when you, the moment you say someone owns safety, you're taking it out of the, out of the operating process. Safety is, is, is built into the way we actually drive for risks and identify risks in organization. It's inside the operating process. Right. And so my concern is that when we start talking about this is the responsibility and this is the accountability, we are removing safety from that fundamental process. So am I... Would I be wrong to say that safety is a, a thread that goes through every single piece of the organization? You know, the, the, that, that is a, a very, very important point. That, uh, and, and it happens, you know, organizations are looking at safety at the at design point of it. Uh, and so safety is really built into the engineering principles that is going into the construction of it and so on. But to actually conduct... Um, in-depth risk reviews, mm-hmm. in the designs, in the plans on the table, that's something that is not readily happening. But, but well, why is that not readily? Like I go to school and I'm taught in my occupational health and safety um, program that this is part of what we're supposed to be doing, right? Engineering it in, designing it in. And so, for example, when we're doing a deli, and the safety department isn't even in there to identify what the risks are in the design for the workers. Aren't we kind of falling down on the job? Well, we are. But the uh, you know what we're accepting is that the engineering, the engineering person, the engineer, because of their discipline and their uh, you know structural knowledge, they will construct something that is st- safe, stable, etc. But what we don't do is to put people in those environments. And you can actually, these days, you can get some organizations are doing this with virtual realities. You know, you walk through a plant that's being constructed and they actually look at how will people operate in this environment. Now, that's an advanced level uh, that I'm not sure that happens on an ordinary construction project on a site. You know, just building a construction here and building uh, an, an office extension there. You don't, you don't have that kind of focus. And I've seen this on, 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 um, on, on, on office design, simple thing as office design, that uh, you know, the, the evacuation out of that office is impeded by the design. 
And it's because that thinking hasn't been put into it. Uh, on a day-to-day -day basis, every single day, we are planning the next day's work, the next week's work, the next month's work. That is also where we should start creating safety or risk control, risk optimization, every single day in the planning processes of that operation. That is, a, I think, the way that um, people who incorporate safety into um, their operations do think, right? And I guess one of my struggles um, that I wanted to bring in here is that there is a, a, a belief that people are the most important element in the success of safety. Is that not a belief? Yeah, that, that is a belief. It's probably generally a very true belief. Um, we, we actually emphasize very strongly that humans are the strongest link in the safety chain. And it's, a, it's a bit of a tagline that we use. And the reason we say that is that humans are probably the best at dynamically identifying risk on the job, seeing things, responding to it, far more than what any uh, computer or uh, machine can do. We're actually extremely able. But there's, in that whole idea of humans in the workplace, there's been traditionally a focus on humans are failing, humans make mistakes, humans are the weakest link in the safety chain. And so if that statement of uh, humans are important, are, is it because of the positive capabilities and inputs that people can make into the business, then that's very true. But if it is, oh, we have to, uh, because they make the accidents, they have the accidents, they make the mistakes. That Do is a fallacy the still believes. Or is it the outcome that we're seeing is the accident? And well, exactly. We are, yeah. we are actually responding to so many uh, systemic issues in uh, the operator at the front end. Uh, the culture in the organization, the, 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 the systems around the procedures, the influences of teams on each other. So an accident is a symptom, but unfortunately that accident is almost always has got the human operator at, at, at the busy end of it because that's where they work. They work at the front end of the business. So they're going to have the accidents. But that doesn't mean that they weren't set up into a situation where an accident could potentially occur. Like I'm thinking back again in the retail and I look at how sometimes they, they create the workstations where they create the workstation, which is really good for one per person working at the station. But the fact of the matter is that you usually have three to five people working at the station. And so when you are creating a workstation, you also have to think about how many people are going to be in here moving around and how might they potentially impact each other's flow? Yeah, I, I, I think it'll take you so far, you know, in terms of creating a safe work environment, but uh, you can never create a safe work environment. People are, will have accidents in the safest work environment. Absolutely. And, 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 and the focus, I think, is, is a simple twist on that statement. Creating a safe work environment, my twist on that would be creating an environment in which safe work can be done. Absolutely. Yeah, I like that. Yeah. And then yeah. that means you can actually work safely in a risky environment, in a poorly designed environment. If you actually support employees, if you, if you strengthen their skills, and you actually rely on them in positive terms, 
you know, not in, 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 in avoiding negatives, in avoiding accidents, but they are actually contributing to that safe environment in which people work. Yeah. I mean, one of the, the beliefs is that working safely is a condition of employment. I, I don't... I don't agree with that. Yeah, I, I have a serious problem. That, I think that comes strongly out of the DuPont um, era uh, where, you know, uh, working safely is a condition of, uh, uh, of employment. And, and then if a person has an accident, yeah. you know, so what happens then to that person? Because what this actually, what the statement actually does is introducing fear yeah. into the organization. And, uh, and you can actually work very safe and still be injured in an accident. It's possible. But that means you have not worked safely and you're not going to be employed by this organization. In fact, I would not be employed, I was told one day by the person, a safety person of DuPont, they would never have employed me as an employee because I do skydiving. I do risky things. You know, so so that kind of thinking is uh, is, is is really... Uh, you know, looking at the employee at the back end of the business as the problem. Yeah, but that you could be a highly um, safety-minded person because you do skydiving. I, I, I think do I am. <laughs> yeah. So I have to check my harness. I have to check all my equipment and, and ropes and everything before every time I climb. That is actually the person you want to employ. Yeah. <laughs> I'd rather employ you than a person who never goes out and never and never understands risks. Yeah, yeah. Um, you know, I, I think that um, there are a lot of things that have been created um, that people have have thought is helping kind of move the needle in safety in a positive direction when I'm looking at this list of, of beliefs, but it's really kind of inciting fear and blame into the workplace. And you are a cultural expert, organizational cultural expert. And I think that one of the, the biggest gifts that you can give our audience is some pointers, some tips on how can they create a, a, a culture where people are more collaborative and caring in nature in order to safeguard one another. Yeah. Yeah, I, I think that starts with um, the way we define uh, safety in an organization um, because that determines everything that we do after that. For instance, most organizations to this day would define safety as the absence of accidents. No matter how they're being preached and told, that's not the right definition. That is how we define safety. Now, when we have an accident, we actually have responses to that accident because we've got great safety records in the organization. And then this person this does something which we now judge as stupid or inappropriate or violating or whatever. And so now the responses come. And that response can either be from the team it can come from the supervisor. It comes from higher up in the organization. And those responses are very adverse. They are uh, driving fear or blame in the organization. And so in order to take fear out of the organization, and, and remember this was uh, Deming's, one of his key principles, drive fear out of the organization. There are many sources of these fears in safety terms. 
and, 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 and the way we define safety and the way we respond to incidents is going to either drive fear or it's going to embrace people. And, and if a team, for instance, you know, if something goes wrong in a team and that team embraces that person and with, with the attitude of we as a team have failed this person, that's a completely different uh, way of thinking about it. And then when you actually start driving into the positive side of safety, not the absence of accidents, but the, 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 the capabilities of responding to risk, then you change the narrative. And it's, it's when you change that narrative, that's when you start to, to, to drive uh, a more capable team and a more capable organization. Yeah, you know, it, it occurs to me talking with you that one thing that we really need to, as safety professionals, do more of is encouraging people to, to just speak up candidly when they are seeing um, concerns in the workplace that could potentially make it a hazardous environment. We need mm. to move the discussion, I think, Corey, before accidents and incidents and stop focusing on so much on those, those numbers and I think shift it forward to um, more conversations about what are people identifying as going well as well as could be improved. What are your thoughts on that? Yeah, if you, if you have a think a little bit about the, uh, the, the, the various types of culture that James Reason identified and, and, and you're talking about a reporting culture, willingness to report, and that's something we talk a lot about and find a lot in our analysis of organizations. What makes the, the culture a reporting culture is, is it a fair and just culture? Would people feel comfortable to report? And, and if they have mistakes, how are they supported? But before that, you have to have a trusting culture. That means you'd have to have levels of trust, high levels of trust between supervisors and operators, supervisors and managers. So you have to build that in the organization. And then behind that, is for me, the foundation of all safety is, why do we want to be safe? And organizations who've answered that question effectively, and I'll explain effectively, are the organizations that are sending the right message out in the to their people. And for me, an effective definition of why do we want to safety is because we care about people. And, and that message doesn't always come through to, to, to the operator at the front end. We, we care about safety because we have to meet certain targets. Corporate wants these numbers to be in the right direction. The graphs don't go well. Uh, or the client for whom we are building something is going to be hard on us if there's a safety problem. Those are all good business reasons for safety. But that's not what I want. And the thing is, I worked at the front end of organization I worked underground, 2,000 meters underground, and I understand what it is that people at the front end really want. They do yeah. not want to hear safety is a good thing for the business. Well, a business um, decisions doesn't drive culture. Our no. values and beliefs that we bring individually and join collectively, that is is that not what creates culture? It is, and, and organizations are realizing that. 
But then you get all these uh, lovely uh, charts and lovely brochures and lovely videos we're making about values and how we are, um, you know, supporting this value and that value, safety first, and all these kind of slogans that come into play. And in the end, that's not where I will believe the value statement from. I will believe it if my direct supervisor, deep on the ground or in the trench of the business, shares his or her values with me, tells me, I care about you. Yeah. Then it makes a huge difference in terms of what it is that I will believe in the organization. And, and I, um, this is bringing in my social work background again, is that we always looked at um, group dynamics and um, cultivating and nurturing what do we want our group to be um, valuing, valuing. And so what are your thoughts about group dynamics and safety? Um, I, I, th I think that, uh, uh, you know, well, let, let me take one step back. I also have a military background. And, uh, and you think that, uh, you know, this is an organization that makes war. And uh, safety is not going to be one of their considerations. Uh, you know, they don't want, they don't, they're not creating safety. But uh, actually, the, the military organization has been absolutely leading in the understanding of what group dynamics mean in a high-risk environment. If you, if you know, and, and, and this to me is one of the uh, most beautiful um, uh, concepts in the American military, we leave no one behind ever. Mm -hmm. As a soldier, that is extremely comforting. That's extremely binding and, 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 and positive for you. Now, take this as a background, and I grew up in Africa. And Africa... As, uh, as an incredibly beautiful culture all over Africa. And in Southern Africa, uh, there is a, um, uh, a belief, a, a concept that is called Ubuntu. And Ubuntu is not something that you can really teach people. It's something you have to live. And I, I grew up in that black culture and understanding what that words mean. And that, that words, if it's translated, means... I live through you. You live through me. And uh, I have a very dear a black friend, Eric Rachikopa, who, who, who really made me understand the value of that. That's group dynamics. That's We take care of each other. And if there, there's actually a video on YouTube of Nelson Mandela, um, where if you type in Nelson Mandela Ubuntu in YouTube, you'll hear him explaining that. That is a deep, deep sense of caring for each other. And that is so important in the high-risk work environment because that's where it's absolutely needed. And I think that's needed in all workplaces, Corey. Very true, very true. But in the high-risk environment, it's almost, uh, you depend on it. Absolutely. No, absolutely. Like I'm thinking back in, in my um, retail experiences and return to work is often something that we don't discuss a lot in safety and it's very critical when that employee who was um, injured comes back to work and how do they how are they then accepted 
by the group afterwards. And, and it's very stressful and can be very emotionally eroding for that individual because sometimes the group will dismiss them because they believe that either they're responsible for um, having the accident, you know, yeah, or yeah. Um, that they aren't really as hurt as they, they make out to be. And yeah. when you have great group culture and tabuku, did I say that right? Ubuntu. Ubuntu, sorry. And you have great Ubuntu, then what you see is that the, the, the group takes that person back in and makes sure that they're okay. They don't yeah. blame that person for getting hurt. They, they want to help that person. And, and in the retail, the grocery industry is very interesting in the store because you've got so many different departments. And so they each have different, very different group cultures. And it was really interesting to see those groups that cared about one another and if something happened, how they would, even outside of work, go to that person's home or whatever, bring them something and make sure that they're okay. And it was like the whole group doing it as opposed to other groups that didn't have this element. Yeah. So my question to you is, why is this happening even in one workplace? How can we have such separate group dynamics? Yeah, you know, um, in, in um, when you look at an organization, and we do a lot of organizational analysis, and we find um, a lot of this in organizations structured uh, by function, or structured by uh, by a matrix, or structured by a focus area, and uh, and and so inside those groups, you actually start to develop subcultures, or inside the organization, you have you start to develop these subgroups, subcultures, and in one way that is a good thing, um, but on the the other way, you know, it could be quite destructive if some of those groups are you know tending towards what you just described. But if you can actually allow the organization to be flexible so that they actually understand very clearly the overall ethos of the organization. And that overall ethos, that overall value set that we uh, message to people, that should drive the subcultures. But those subcultures needs to be then functioning within that context. And uh, and I think there's there's some real value in in, in making making sure that there's cohesion in the organization, that there's transformation. That's, that was also another, uh, another one of Deming's, and I, and I do like to often refer to Deming in terms of quality management, where he said that, uh, you know, the, the focus should be to drive constancy in the organization. People should have a clear idea of the vision of this organization, not, uh, not necessarily the goals, because that's what we tend to do, but what is the vision? What's the why in this organization? And if everybody understands that or feels that, you get people starting to drive group dynamics within that context. And that is a good thing. Now, we're almost up for our time. It's been an amazing conversation. But I wanted to go back to your list of beliefs around safety in general and ask, was there any particular point of one of those that you wanted to talk about? You know, I think um, the, um, the, the one 
you know, and, and this is a common thing, and it almost defines very much how we are in safety. And that is uh, to uh, drive safety at the back end of the business. And we started our discussion with that, uh, where safety is seen as the add-in of defenses or the adding-in of capabilities even. Um, but that does not define safety. Safety is deep inside that operational process. And, um, and, and I think that, you know, uh, coming back to, to, to the Deming, when you said that uh, don't make adjustments at the end of the production process. And to me, the people who are driving safety in the organization um, is, 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 is going to be uh, driving the wrong things if we do it from the sideline. Leaders in the organization, supervisors, and people in the team, all everybody's a leader in that respect. To me, that's one of the, still to me, one of the biggest hurdles we face, that safety is something we need to add into the business. Like, you know, a simple thing like uh, we have to start the meeting with a safety share and have a discussion about safety. Immediately, you are taking safety out of the mainstream discussion. You do it at the beginning and don't talk about it afterwards. That's, that's the kind of constancy of purpose that we, what we're missing. And really, uh, safety should be kind of integrated into all discussions. I mean, I, I remember the, the best thing that I, I loved to watch was when um, I saw employees going up to our, we have an Ontario um, Occupational Health and Safety legislation, we call the Green Book. And um, during training, I would bring out the Green Book and I would be, referencing it as a as a reference tool which would get the employees interested in like what is that book you have and so we actually hung one um, in two areas of the store for the employees and it was incredible how they would actually go and reference this book themselves to have during conversations mm. and I wonder like is this something that a lot of people are doing like Uh, you know, I, my experience of organizations are they are they are extremely serious about safety. And you know, people often say companies don't care about safety or their their commitment is not there. I haven't come across an organization that is not deeply committed to safety, and and and, and it's just the way we go about it. That is, and this is why all these myths are so destructive because it leads us on, on different pathways. It leads us on the wrong path uh, in, in some respects, you know, that some of these myths can actually be quite quite serious uh, in terms of its potential impact on, uh, on eff effectiveness in the organization. And, and, and to me, it's a matter of, uh, you know, what is the role of the safety profession? Are we, are we still going to be the same kind of organization in the next 20 years? Uh, or are we going to, and, and I believe we should disappear, like the quality department, the quality manager have disappeared off the scene because it's been integrated into the business operations. And that, I think, is where the future of safety is going to have to, to, to go to, to be, so, to be so integrated that safety has become invisible. It's, it's, it's a given. That's what we do. We don't even talk about it anymore. Absolutely. Absolutely. I mean, I'm looking at these beliefs and a lot of them, they focus on fatal accidents, right? And learning mm. from reporting, learning from incidents. 
And I, I have to, to venture out and think that if we create an environment where we are, we can step back and we have the employees and the management doing these discussions, these proactive discussions um, and speaking candidly and feeling comfortable to have those conversations, and then we could be doing more robust um, programs. Couldn't yeah, we? yeah, and 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 in a sense, uh, to me, a big dividing line is: uh, I don't want to learn from incidents. I don't want to learn from near miss reporting. All of those are too late. We the the the, the proactive thinking about fatal risk exposures is a whole different way of thinking, and that's where the discussions, the robust discussions should be going towards is there's a difference and then i call them a farmers as against a nearness a farmers if you take the chance of something happening out of the equation just look at possibility you'd be amazed what is opened up in front of your eyes if you think about the farmers concept and that is a robust discussion about exposure which is not driven by things that have already happened in our organization and then that's something you can actually get um, everybody involved in. Very much so, yeah. That far yeah, risk so. exposure discussions. Yeah, we, we have a, a training program that we actually uh, give to front-end employees. And they are engaged through this training process into looking at far miss if, uh, exposures in their organization. We train them in what we call the 6Y of risk engagement. And then after they've been gone through the training, they go out into workplaces and they actually start. Can you share what the six Y is for our listeners? Um, it is a, it's a, it's a, it's, it's not an academic concept. It's a, it's a, it's a, it's a way in which we define how we engage with risk. And the first, the six Y is the first Y is risks are overlooked. We simply don't see the risk because of a variety of reasons. Um, the second in the second one is we underestimate risks. And, and it's, it's, it's the way where we underestimate probability and we miss the risk in that sense. The third risk is risk is rewarded. Risk taking is rewarded for a multiple of reasons again. And the, the, the uh, risk is inherent in the workplace. It's inherent in the procedure. It's in, inherent in the way that we do it. Or a risk is balanced. And, and, and this is where we're balancing uh, work pressures against safety requirements. We choose to the, the focus on taking the shortcut in order to get the job done, and we rationalize it afterwards for ourselves. And then the risks are being tolerated. Risks become so commonplace in that environment. I, I, I have never seen an accident with us. I don't experience an accident with us. And the risk becomes ignored to the point where sometimes it could be even overlooked. But those six definitions actually is very practical definitions for people. And when that, we train them in that, understanding that, and then they go out and they actually engage with people and look at the circumstances and say, okay, what risks are, can be overlooked here? What risks are we underestimating here? What, and, and then go through the six, uh, six whys. And it's amazing how that simple engagement tool uncovers these risk exposures. And that's the process we used in this organization in, uh, into looking at elimination of fatal risks. Uh, it is it is so powerful to to understand this in this engagement how we engage with it. Then you actually start seeing things that you you kind of think you you would not see before, but now you see them. 
And so would you then, using this, this methodology, would you incorporate these conversations into um, everyday kind of work engagements? So if you're having a staff meeting or you're having some um, touch point sessions during the day, is that how? Yeah, yeah, we actually. A little bit more. Yeah, we actually, uh, for instance, one of the things that we install for an organization is uh, we call it the safe sentry tool. And the safe sentry mechanism or tools uh, or, or system is very simple. In each team, one person in a day is a safe sentry for the day. And that person uses a, a half an hour in the morning, half an hour in the afternoon to go around and just talk to people in their work environment. And they engage with that person and they actually use this tool to have a discussion about risk at that moment in time in this situation. What risk are we overlooking, underestimating, et cetera? And the person goes and talks to another person in a half an hour, comes back, in the afternoon does the same thing, and in the afternoon then have a discussion with the supervisor about things that have been observed and reported in this way. The next day, someone else is a, is a safe sentry for the day and again go through this uh, engagement process. Very, very simple to do, but it, it so much drives towards risk transparency openness, willingness to talk about risk and looking at the far misses around us instead of the things that, that already happened and we try to eliminate hazards. And so you're, you're actually leveraging your social system in the workplace. Precisely. Interesting. I've never heard of that before. I'd like to dig into that a little bit more. Um, and another time. Well, we are at the end of our time right now, but I did want to ask you if you had any last thoughts that you'd like to share out to our audience. You know, I'd like to come back to to uh, our, um, our, our little discussion about the, the why of safety. And, and I, I really like the work of Simon Sinek. Not, not so, he's not in the safety field, but just the, the, the question of why we do things. And the answering of that, whether it's in a team, whether it's in an organization as a whole, we really have to start with that and understand that as a first principle before we start making this system work or that system work. Because the way we define things, the way we define safety, and, and we like to define safety as the, the readiness to respond to risk. If you think about it in those terms, not the absence of accidents or how many systems we have in place, et cetera. It is just the fundamental readiness to respond to risk. That creates a whole new direction of thinking, of actions, of uh, proaction in the organization, a, a different kind of system eventually to, to in, enable the organization to look forward rather than to drive things on the basis of what we've achieved or failed to achieve in the past. He's very interesting. I, I find him, his TED Talk was really interesting. Um, can you kind of share with people a little bit more about how they could implement into their, their management or leadership style in safety? Defining the why of safety uh, is, is really coming out of our understanding as an organization of our, uh, and, and, and to come back, you know, a lot of these myths are actually killing the why in safety. It is, it is giving us these ready-made slogans to work with, and it, it sounds good. And for instance, a term like safety first, 
uh, or a term like zero accident, zero harm. Um, you know, you could almost say to an organization, or, or if you say to an organization, you know, what is the why in your in your business? Why do you want to be safe? They they, they answer, oh, to achieve zero harm. Uh, and they haven't thought that through uh, because, for instance, you know, the concept of zero harm uh, in, in its full consequences, it is a gross impossibility. It is fine as a vision as, oh, yeah, we, we, we don't want to harm anybody, and that's great, but you can't, you can't actually achieve that. So you're always painting yourself in a corner. So that is not understanding the why of why you want to be safe because you haven't thought through it. If you had, th if you'd really thought through it, you're not going to uh, make a statement such as that, that is going to compromise you in every which way, because every day that you have an accident, you haven't achieved zero harm. And so you've always on a negative. So what is the positive construct out of safety? Uh, what is the positive, um, uh, uh, the positive vision that you want to achieve? And uh, and I go back to my my very first experience as a, as a, as an operator. I was a, a human resource manager, going to this mine, and the, and the mine manager told me to go work on the ground, and to understand what people are doing. And I had to spend quite a bit of time working on the ground. But I heard him say this: the most important to come out of my mine is the miner. And when he said that, that captured for me why he wants safety in the organization, why he's so obsessed with safety, because we are the most important come out of the mind. So that definition of why is a very constructive, very positive one. And I think organizations can, 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 can think more in depth about the way we define what it is that we want to achieve in the organization. And that is only if we understand why we want this. Absolutely. No, you nailed it. Thank you. Think a little bit deeper on your why. Well, thank you, Corey, yeah, so yeah. much for joining us today. I really appreciate you taking the time to chat with us. Thank you. Thank you, Tamara. It was really enjoyable. We'll talk soon again. Talk soon again. I hope that you enjoyed this episode of Safety Talks. You can find the show notes at safepedia.com under the podcast menu. We also have webinars, white papers, and Q&As out daily. Have you signed up for a Safety Connect Virtual Conference Expo? Head on over to industryconnectsafety.com and you can register for free today. Until next time, stay safe.